Hello, Iterative Marketers. Welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast, where each week we give marketers and entrepreneurs actionable ideas, techniques, and examples to improve your marketing results. If you want notes and links to the resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. Now let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Robinson, and with me as always is the quirky and lovable Elizabeth Aaron. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Trying to decide if this weekend we're going to go and trade in our iPhones. For another iPhone or something different? Yeah, we so we we do the Apple lease thing and we're we've been eligible for months. But the idea of transferring everything and we have to buy new cases and and the whole rigmarole of that has just kind of held me back from doing it. That plus there's this thing in the back of my head that goes, okay, there's the new Chrome Pixel and that looks like it's like a pretty cool phone. And and am I just buying iPhones because that's what I've had? And and can is there other stuff out there I should be experiencing and 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 checking out? And maybe it's better on the other side. So much of my life's in Google, et cetera, et cetera. It's a good question to ask. It's I wish that you could test phones out more than just play with them in the store. Yeah. I had that thought, I don't know, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, and decided to go get a droid and was miserable. I couldn't okay. figure out how to work it. You know, you're so ingrained working with Apple products, and I don't know about you, but you know, I've got all sorts of Apple products, mm-hmm. and so everything I use is Apple. And to switch from a non-Apple to, um, or from an Apple product to a non-Apple product, threw my world for in complete chaos, and I couldn't handle it. And ended up having to sell the phone at a bit of a loss to go back and get my iPhone. And my husband loves to say, "I told you so," because he told me not to do it, and I didn't listen. So he gets to hold it over my head now. So maybe it's not just brand love for Apple. No, you know, I think the I think the reason that there's brand love for Apple is is because they've got such a handle on on their user experience. Okay. Well, then I guess we'll probably go and trade in our iPhones. Long overdue. So, what are we talking about today? If we aren't talking about uh, iPhones, today we want to focus on a different aspect, and that's the impact of brand on your bottom line. Yeah, and this comes out of some conversations we've had lately with some prospects and even some clients. Um, that have really been pushing uh, towards attributable last click sort of metrics. And yeah, we can we can do this program, but it, ha- it needs to cash flow according to the last click. And we need to make sure that everything, uh, you know, everything pays for itself. And in, in, in at the at, at the point of that last sale, kind of to the detriment of any effort going towards brand. I think focusing on that last engagement is a little bit short-sighted. And so today we want to talk about connecting the dots between investment in brand and measurable results. So first, I think it's important that we kind of talk about our definition of brand as it pertains to today's discussion. Everybody seems to have a slightly different definition when they talk about what does a brand mean. We want to kind of hone that in for today. Um, talk about some benefits of the brand, uh, of, of, of emphasis on brand, as well as how it can serve as an insurance policy. And then we'll wrap up with some actionable to-dos. So jumping right in, what, what do we mean when we say brand? Well, I think for today's discussion, we can we can simplify what it what it means to have a strong brand because that's what we're advocating is investing in a strong brand. We can simplify um, what it what it means to have a strong brand into into three things. Um, first of all, a strong brand 
um, means that your target audience, those who can can and, and will maybe eventually buy from you, um, are aware of your brand. Uh, it means that the second thing is that it means that they have a strong emotional uh, feeling associated with your brand. And third, and I think this is most important, that that awareness and understanding of your brand, those emotions associated with your brand, they're consistent among that target audience because a strong brand not only means a strong response, but it also means a consistent response across those who matter. So we're not just talking about an awareness of your brand, being able to recall your name, but we're talking about the the emotions connected with your brand. Yeah, and we're definitely not talking about logos. Um, we're 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 not talking about what you know, whether or not you have a style guide and 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 whether you have a pretty logo and and and, and we're talking about how your audience perceives your organization. So let's jump in and, and start by talking about how a strong brand helps us accomplish more with less, um, and then uh, how it can help us when we kind of get into some of those sticky situations. Yeah, and and as we go through those two topics, we'll kind of, we'll talk about how this relates back to those measurement points because we're not saying measurement isn't important. Measurement's very important. But how brand investment comes back out through the numbers isn't always um, as direct a correlation as as you might think it would be. But it does come back out, and I think that's an important thing to talk about as we go through here. So let's start out. What what are some of the benefits of having that strong brand? How you know if you were to break that down into a couple of points, where where should we start? Well, I think it starts with emotions because so many of us, um, without even realizing it, our, our decisions end up being ruled by emotions, and that's because we make decisions based on the emotions that we're feeling. And um, we will take in information from, you know, the rational side of our brain, but more often than not, um, our emotions are going to win over on anything rational that we can argue. Yeah, I always love coming back to that particular uh, study where they they had a, a gentleman who, who lost his, uh, his, his emotional center of his brain, amygdala, I think, was the part of his brain that they had to, they had to remove surgically. And he was as smart as he was before that that surgery, but felt no emotions. And the strange byproduct was he couldn't make a single decision. Um, he was just deer in headlights anytime he had to choose between two things because we think we're logical creatures. But the reality is that that logic feeds through that amygdala, that emotional center of our brains. So if you can create a really strong emotional connection to your audience you have the ability to short circuit their decision making because they don't bother going to get that logical information. They assume it's there and run with the emotional decision. Well, and not only that, but if you're able to appeal to them and attract them on that emotional level, then you're you're not competing with them on, on a price level. Exactly, exactly. Because the decision has already been made. Now they're just working possibly to rationalize that decision. And they can do that through why your product is superior or, or, or even, you know, people go to great lengths to, to rationalize emotional decisions. And, and so if you can get them with the emotion, then, then, then the, the rationalization will, will follow. And they're not sitting here creating those pros, cons and price charts for your, your product or service, either literally or in their brain. I think a great case in point, coming back to that iPhone that we talked about earlier, how often do you see Apple stuff go on sale? Never. Um, yeah, it, it just doesn't happen. Occasionally, like Best Buy will run a sale where they lose money on their Apple stuff. But otherwise, if you go to the Apple store, the price is the price because Apple doesn't have to discount. They don't have to compete on price. They compete on brand. 
And you have to be careful because when you do start competing on price or um, even using um, pricing strategies, you know, discounts and whatnot to try and move product, you have a big impact on your brand. Yeah, it, it pulls you out of that premium space pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So if we look at tracking this, how does this come out in the numbers? Um, the, the, one of the questions that we ask is, are you tracking your discounting? Are you tracking what that impact is in the bottom line? Because that's a cost of marketing. If you don't have to do that because you have that strong brand position coming into each deal, that is measurable as an economic impact of, of investing in that brand. And so some of the things that we would look for would be, um, you know, what's your average sales size or your margin on the sales? And can you show a correlation between um, brand strength and those numbers over time? Exactly. Um, I think the other big reason that you get a benefit, uh, a boost from investment in brand is you're investing in that relationship and that audience before they're ready to buy. And that pays dividends over the the, the lifetime of the customer journey. Yeah. You know, not everyone you talk to is ready to buy right in that moment in time. And, and if we make that assumption, then I think we lose out on some really big opportunities. But if we start early in the relationship and we're there for, for the entire ride, you know, before they even start thinking about us up until they're ready to make that decision, they've they've built up that trust with us. They have that affinity. Um, our brand already has a place in their heart. And so, um, you know, it, it, it makes it harder for them to abandon us at the last minute for a cheaper option. I mean, imagine for a second you have a a, a, a friend, maybe a, not a close friend, but somebody you know is a handyman, right? You're connected to them on Facebook. They're always throwing out these little home maintenance tips on Facebook that you've 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 gleaned a couple of great things there, and and maybe you start a DIY project where you're going to, to to fix something in your house, and you reach out to him for some advice, and he helps you out with that without trying to sell any of his services or anything. And then all of a sudden you have to do something that's beyond your ability as a handyman, like place a door um who are you going to reach out to you're going to reach out to your 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 friend of a friend that you've you you've established this trust and this relationship to even if probably you know somebody who you know would be cheaper you'd still probably reach out to that same guy um i definitely i know i've done this in my life and in my life and this plays off of something that um we read about in one of our book club books and i cannot remember what it's called um it's one of the the laws the law of reciprocity. Yes, that one. Yeah, that's from Robert Robert Cialdini. Robert Cialdini. I can say this guy's last name. Really, I can. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's one of one of his laws in his book um, called Influence um, um, from from years ago. It also plays on um, another another sort of tactic, and that is um, uh, the fact that if you've been along that journey, you're a known entity. Mm-hmm. And and humans are really propelled by inertia. We would rather go with the known than the unknown. We would rather continue uh, in, a, in a manner of congruence, I think is the technical term, where, okay, so this handyman that I know is my go-to source for handyman stuff, right? And that's where I go. That's where I go. You know, push the button on the, on the and, and, and get the pallet, food pallet, right? Mm-hmm. If I start to diverge from that, that's friction. And so it, 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 if, you, if you establish that relationship, you become that known, that go-to resource for that thing. 
And your audience will not diverge from that unless they are given a good reason. Uh, it's kind of like an object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Going back to your high school physics class, right? Exactly. No, and um, you know, if you, you compare this to um, you know, your, your handyman scenario, and um, you've got someone who you, you you have now built this relationship with this person. He's helped you out a few times, um, and versus the guy who popped up in your AdWords when you searched, you know, for whatever keyword, um, you don't know who that other company is. You don't know who that person is. I mean, you see their name, but like you said, unless there's something. Really really compelling in that line or two of copy in that AdWords text, you're, you have no reason to, to seek them out. And instead, you are going to go with someone that you are already familiar with. Right. And you might do that Google search just to help you rationalize the decision that you're making. You might come up with those alternatives because you feel like if I don't, then I'm not doing my job. But the reality is you've already decided where you're going. You're just coming up with the alternatives to help you build that rational case. And we see the impact on our bottom line when we look at things like time to close, close rates, cart abandonment. These are all areas that um, are impacted and, and, and we see the influence of brand on, on these numbers. So I think this is a great time for us to take a quick break. Um, when we get back, we're going to make one more final case for... Uh, how brand really can impact your your results and your numbers in a positive way before jumping into the um, what we call the insurance aspects of a brand. So let's go help some people. This week, we are asking that you make a donation to Red Rover. Their mission is to bring animals out of crisis and strengthen the bond between people and animals through emergency sheltering, disaster relief services, financial assistance, and education. To find out how you can help, please visit redrover.org or visit the link in the show notes. If you would like to submit your cause for consideration for our next podcast, please visit iterativemarketing.net slash podcast and click the share a cause button. We love sharing causes that are important to you. And we're back. So before the break, we talked about how investing in brand can keep you from competing on price by short-circuiting that emotional decision-making uh, portion of, of your prospect's brain. And we also talked about how uh, being along for the journey um, uh, allows you to play off of laws of reciprocity and some congruence, uh, positioning you as the known entity um, that, that's sort of owed a favor at the time of sale. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how uh, investing in brand can actually end up being less expensive than investing in those those last minute do state tactics that we, we we see all too often as the focus of marketing plans. Definitely, and I think this is a really great point because um, you know so often, um, like you said when we first started this episode, um, people are focused on on those on those do state those people that are ready to buy now, and that's great. I mean, you want to bring them in; they're wonderful. But the cost of reaching that audience is so expensive, and when you're not um, competing on that that point of intent anymore, um, you can you can buy that that audience at a much lower rate. And so, um, if you take a look at at AdWord bids for keywords like buy sewing machine needles online, which has a very high intent, you're talking about buying them online, um, with those something that would be more like you know how to thread a sewing sewing needle or sewing machine, um, you've got an audience who obviously has a need for that product. They may not have demonstrated that intent to buy yet. And so that audience is much, uh, you can get it at a much smaller rate. And again, if you stick with them through the whole purchase, um, then they convert and you brought them into your funnel at a much, much less expensive than you would have if you had been going after that high intent keyword. 
And you see the same thing with programmatic or Facebook um, advertising, where if you're if you're bidding on audiences that are are high intent audiences, either on the programmatic side, they're labeled intent audiences, or on Facebook, if you can find there are some places where you can bid on intent as well, you're going to pay a lot more for that traffic than if you're just bidding on interest, um, because everybody else is bidding on intent. Everybody else is trying to go there. And so there's a scarcity to that traffic. There's a scarcity to those eyeballs. And that drives up that price. Um, the irony is that if you can properly leverage the, 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 the eyeballs earlier in the journey, there's actually greater value there, as we talked about earlier, through that reciprocity and congruence. Yeah, I mean, if they already know who they are um, and they're they're seeking you out, they're already informed about you. They've heard about you from from somewhere else. They have an idea about you. And so um, typically you may, you're not going to need um, as much content to try and influence them because they've sought you out. Um, and so in that way, they're, they're more informed decision makers and that can lead to a shorter sales cycle. It can lead to higher close rates. And it also leads to better customer retention if you're able to follow through on what you've promised. Yeah, and those are hard metrics to get your head around as a marketer because now we're looking at things that are really in the domain of sales or even customer service when we're looking at, at account retention. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, those um, play out based on, on what we're feeding into the machine here, right? So if we're feeding in um, prospects and leads that are not right fit or who aren't informed as to what makes your company special that's going to result in, in, in crummy numbers on the other side. So you have as much responsibility to be tracking and looking at those numbers as any other part of the business. And you can actually lay claim to having influenced them, especially if you can back it up with um, uh, uh, some surveys or some other data that can, can demonstrate how you have produced better fit or more informed prospects at the beginning of the process. Now, you had mentioned that there's another reason to invest in brand, and that had to do with, with limit, limiting your downside risk. Yeah, I see brand as a, a somewhat of an insurance policy, and it, it kills me. It just pains me whenever somebody comes to me and says, uh, uh, Steve, I need your help. Um, uh, uh, my marketing's broken. It was working great, and then all of a sudden, blah, blah, blah happened, and now we, we, we don't have any leads. And, and you look at this, and, and it's usually an over-reliance in some do-state tactic. Yeah, we've we've seen this time and time again, and and like you said, it's heartbreaking to look at because, um, you know, it's it's something that they thought they were doing everything right. Um, they were going off of their metrics, but a change in an algorithm can throw their entire world for a loop. And we had worked with a construction services company that um, had been, you know, first in market, and they were gangbusters. I mean, they were they were getting it, and they were going after it. They were doing a great job. In and that was all that was all search, right? Yeah, they all had search. they had really. Yeah really nailed SEO because they were the first ones in their market to have an online presence. And so being first gave them this huge advantage for many years. Until someone new came to market and then that advantage went away and was, you know, not, not fun times around the office. Yeah. 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 And then another company that we worked with, um, they were sort of, uh, 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 stuck in an AdWords loop, they had they had they had really built a business that was really dependent on AdWords traffic. And Google went and changed the way that their search terms operated within AdWords, and all of a sudden they were unable to produce that same traffic, and and their sales just dried up and shriveled overnight. 
And this, I mean, I'd love to say that these are, you know, limited cases, but they're not. I mean, look at Facebook. Um, how many companies used to use Facebook to put coupons and discounts out to people? And then Facebook changed the algorithm and now that stuff's not being delivered anymore. And they've lost this entire channel that they had for getting their message out to their target audience. And we're not saying you shouldn't invest in some of these do state tactics. You want to be present at the end of the sales cycle or at the end of the, the, end of the customer journey when that person's ready to buy, because it, you're, if you're not there, it might, it might you might lose out on opportunities that you otherwise would get. However, um, we see investing in brand as a great insurance policy against some of these other tactics. Because if you invest in your brand, you get to a point where your audience is seeking you out by name. And even if your SEO breaks, they're still going to be able to find you by name. They might not find you searching for blah, 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 construction contractor, um, but they will find you um, when they search for your name. And so um, it, 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 it's far less susceptible to outside influences, to algorithm changes or SEO ranking or AdWords policies or whatever else might, might screw up that, that, that path that you had very carefully built from somebody's intent to buy your product or service to your brand. If you skip that step and they jump right to your brand because they know it, love it, trust it, that's where they've been going and, and that, that, that's where they feel like they owe some, some, some debt to, you don't have to worry about that, that middle piece breaking as much. Yeah, managing this portion of brand uh, really helps to prevent that catastrophic downturn due, due to an over-reliance on due state advertising. And, you know, ask yourself as you're, as you're listening to us talk about this, you know, what would happen if an algorithm were to change? What would happen if a new competitor entered the market? Are you currently positioned to be able to handle that? I don't want anyone else coming to me again saying, uh, Steve, help me fix this. It's broken. <laughs> so what can we do? Um, what can we do as marketers if we're in a position where we are over-reliant on these due state tactics and we really haven't been feeding and, and watering our, our, our brand? Yep. So there's there's you know, three sort of uh, things that you can do that you can take a look at today. The first one is looking at personas and segmentation. If you don't understand the who of, of who you're trying to reach, then you're, um, I think you say this all the time, you're trying to boil the ocean. And I take that to mean that, you know, you're just, you're trying to do all of it at once and you can't. It's just no one's stove right. is big enough to do that. So no one's budget is big enough to do that. You're not going to make friends with the world. Um, and nobody has that budget, Right. So if you're going to spend money on brand, you really need to make sure that it's focused money. You really need to nail the who that you're trying to make friends with. Whose hearts and minds are you trying to influence? Who are you trying to get to fall in love with you? Because you can't, you can't boil the ocean. And it goes beyond just understanding the who. You need to understand their journey as well. Um, you need to be able to understand what it is that's motivating them. Um, what decisions are they making? What are they thinking about during the process? And by doing that, um, you're able to then insert yourself with the right type of content, the right type of messaging in a way that, that gets their attention and builds up that awareness with them. If you don't understand that, if you're just focusing on features and benefits and just throwing information out at them without understanding what it is that they really need and really want at that specific point, uh, then you lose an opportunity and they're going to tune you out to one of the other hundreds of messages that are in market. Yeah, this is key. Um, if you're, I, I've worked with enough people over time that have been focused on features and benefits, product or service. This is what we sell. How do we find people who want what it is we're selling? And if you're, if you're in that loop and in that loop, yeah, your, your tactics naturally drift towards do, 
to get out of that, you have to stop looking at how do we, you know, where are people looking for what it is that we're selling to where are our right fit clients and what does their journey look like? And that's a, that's a paradigm shift that, that, that seems subtle, but it's huge, absolutely huge in, in, in how you look at your marketing overall. And the last part that we didn't talk about in, in, in our three keys on how to get started with this, if you are stuck in that do state, is, is, is of, of the one that's most obvious, and that is, have you taken the time to define your brand? Do you know that personality? Do you know that emotion that you want to create in your audience that's going to make them establish that awareness and love and, and positive emotional attachment to your brand? And this is important because the key to making this happen, the key to building that awareness and building that that attachment that that you just mentioned is that you have to be consistent. And if you you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of jumping from state to state with a different type of message and you're not reinforcing that throughout the entire customer journey, you lose that opportunity. Yeah, they might know who you are, but if they don't feel something, it's 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 not not worth the effort. So we, we talked about personas, customer journeys, and, and, and your brand. The, 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 act, the key action here is, is after you have at least something in place for all three of those, go through and audit all of your marketing and make sure that your marketing is addressing the right persona correctly and that you understand the who and that you're focused and that you're not trying to boil the ocean. Make sure that you're, you're, you, you are addressing people at, at, at various states in their journey before due. And then make sure that every touch point aligns with that brand that you have defined. If you do those three things, then you get out of the do trap. You get out of the, the, um, this reliance on these do state tactics and you build your insurance policy and you set yourself up for far greater returns in the future. Definitely. So let's wrap up today's, uh, um, today's podcast. We, we talked about what makes a strong brand and we distilled that down to awareness, emotion, and consistency. The benefits of having a strong band, strong brand um, are tied to short-circuiting that logical decision-making. Um, again, that's not how we make decisions. We are ruled by, uh, by emotions. And so you want to find that opportunity to connect with them emotionally so that you're not having to compete on price or features or benefits. We want to be along for the ride for that customer journey so we can vastly improve the probability of a, of a better outcome towards the end. And we want to get higher quality sales with with, and by spending less on media because we're not competing for those most expensive eyeballs that we talked about in the do state. We're not competing for those high intent keywords. Instead, our audience is seeking us out. We also talked about brand as insurance, avoiding those uh, catastrophic disruptions in your, in your, in your channels that can, that can make horrible impacts on sales and instead um, getting your audience to seek you out. And finally, we left you with some next steps to get ahead of that do state tactics and, and really work to start building a strong brand. I want to thank everyone for making time for us again this week. Um, we really appreciate it. On, until next week, onward and upward. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast directory. If you want notes and links to resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There, you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at I-T-E-R, the number eight, I-V-E, or email us at podcast at iterativemarketing.net. 
The Iterative Marketing Podcast is a production of Brilliant Metrics, a consultancy helping brands and agencies rid the world of marketing waste. Our producer is Heather Ullman with transcription assistance from Emily Bechtel. Our music is by Seastock Audio Music Production and Sound Design. You can check them out at seastockaudio.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, onward and upward.